Tulane wins in exciting fashion against the Houston Cougars. LSU rolls in Vanderbilt. That offensive machine just keeps on rolling. And the Saints go to Seattle without their Hall of Fame quarterback and come out with a victory. Let's talk about it. Coming up next is Fazan on Football. Boy, I tell you what, you got to be excited. If you're a Tulane fan, you got to be excited that this is the season you've been waiting for since Tommy Bowden left. Tulane comes back. They don't even beat Houston at home on a Thursday night national television, but it's the way they beat them. They're down 28 to 7. Dana Holgerson's the coach. I don't think people understand. Well, I don't know if people understand. If you're down 28 to 7 to a Dana Holgerson coach team, you're done. The game is over, or it should be, unless you're playing on a hot, human night in New Orleans against a team whose defense is pretty good with an excellent defensive tackle. So. Tulane gets down 28-7. Do they freak out? Do they panic? Do they just bow their heads as old Tulane teams would have done? Let's face it, Tulane fans, you know it. In the past, if this game is 28-7 at halftime, fans are heading for the doors. Players are looking around going, when's this game going to be over with? Coaches are thinking to themselves, man, If this head coach gets fired, I need to start making contacts to get on with other teams. Game's over. Game's over. After all of the buildup during the offseason, the great start to this season, you're down 28-7 first half to Houston, a team who's averaged this season. Not really great. Not the typical Houston Cougars team that Tulane's used to uh, be facing for the last few seasons. And you come back. You get a score before halftime, you get the ball, start the third quarter, and you come back and score. And you hold a Dana Holgerson offense to three points and in one entire half of football. I cannot overstate enough or understate overstate enough how incredibly Hard that is for any team, much uh, much less Tulane, who has in the past, like I said before, been uh, prone to give up. But this team showed some guts in that comeback. This team showed guts, showed character. It showed ability to to face adversity and defeat it, defeat it. So happy, happy, happy for Tulane fans. Great win for Coach Fritz and the boys. Uh, masterful job, Coach Curtis, for the defense to making adjustments, coming back in that second half and shutting down Houston's offense with a pretty good quarterback, Derek King, and an excellent offensive coach. Uh, like I said, Dana Holverson. Now listen, Tulane Sue has work to do. Now the good thing about it was the game was on a Thursday night, and Tulane has a bye this week. So, wow, before they have to go play Army, they're going to get rested up and healthy and hopefully continue this string, but and also hopefully not lose that edge that you get after playing week after week after week really good football. So 
Coach Rich has a pretty tough uh, task on his hand to get his team back ready, fired up, explaining to them that that was just one game. It was a great game. It was a great comeback. But it was just one game. Just one game. So uh, McMillan, the, deep, the uh, LSU quarterback, wasn't having a great game throwing the ball, but when he needed it, he hits uh, McCleskey for the game winner. Uh, it was a really good pass, a strong arm throw. McCleskey makes a really good catch and gets hit by a defender who I think, instead of tackling him, he, he kind of reset McCleskey's balance the way, from that hit. McCleskey's momentum was going one way. He's in the air. He catches the ball. He gets a hit, which turns his body the other way and regains his balance and takes it to the house. But that play was set up what might be the best cool, best call for a two-lane coach since Vegas Vince Gibson was coaching, or at least since Tommy Bowden was coaching because he had some creativity too. The Bumaruski on the victory formation. A great call, gutsy call. Um, fooled everyone and set up that game winning touchdown. So uh, I think Tulane can take this victory, put it in the uh, in the bag. It counts. Uh, they had a they had a decent showing at Auburn. Um, they won a couple of games before that, so it's on to uh, it's on to Army. Let's see what happens once they get to Army, because I mean this team uh, has a little. Has some confidence now, and they should. Defense is playing great. Offense is playing great. The new offensive coordinator, Hall, is has really come in and in, in, installed some excitement into that offense. And give Coach Fritz credit. He's not a pass-around type of guy. He likes to run the ball. He likes to run the option. He did it at Georgia Southern with great effectiveness. So give him a lot of credit for being able to change his philosophy and realize that the talent – in, New, in the New Orleans area, as far as speedy wide receivers and running backs who can catch the ball, uh, he had to make a change. So let's see what happens next. Tulane has to go to Army, a team that usually when they play at Army, I think is in Philadelphia, but don't quote me on that. Uh, when you play, yeah, I think they play at um, John F. Kennedy Stadium. Anyway. If you, this is another team that's usually a, in a, and it's usually a time Tulane has a big victory. They catch Army and they get beat. So let's see how they do it. Let's see how they respond to this great victory. It seems like an eternity ago, uh, but uh, especially when you follow a Thursday night game with a bye week. But it, I think the bye week uh, really came at a good time to help Tulane. Um, Get over some injuries, especially the one to their big defensive tackle, Johnson. So let's see what's going on. Okay, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about a little LSU and some heat. Dave Aranda's been taking. Okay, we'll be right back. This is Fazan on football. Okay, we're back. This is Fazan on football. Now let's segue to a little LSU and some heat. Dave Aranda's now starting to get because of the defensive uh, play, because his defense has been giving up some big yards, some big scores, and uh, getting some LSU fans a little nervous. Now, first of all, let's just give a lot of credit to Joe Burrow, Joe Brady, Ed Ogeron, and the offensive side of the ball for coming up with this incredible 
offense during the offseason. And uh, I remember Joe Burrow during the, during the offseason saying that LSU was going to average 40, a game, 40 points a game. Well, he was wrong. They're averaging like 50 a game. <laughs> they just scored 60-something. Now they had a pick six. So they just, they're averaging well over 40 points a game. Let's just put it that way. And I think what's going on is uh, there's some thought out there that LSU may be scoring too quick uh, for the defense so the you know, defense not getting enough rest in between series. But while I think that has a little bit to do with it, I don't think it's the main thing because if you remember back in the old Les Miles three yards in a cloud of dust days, he used to he used in the second half of games, shut it down on offense, Turn it over to the defense. How many times do you remember LSU almost losing big leagues because Miles shut it down and he turned it over to the defense and there was three and out after three and out after three and out. And for the most part, LSU's defense came through and helped him out. But I think what's going on here is LSU's offense is so prolific and scoring at almost at will that I'm, I think the defense's intensity or edge or sense of urgency might have might be a little bit less now that they know it's a little bit subconscious here, maybe getting a, maybe too uh, in the woods as far as psychology goes, sports psychology. But I think an athlete, when he knows that, let's say, for example, he knows the offense is putting up 35 to 45 points against anybody. So if you're a defensive player, you kind of realize that sense of urgency isn't there as opposed to you know your offense can only generate maybe 14 to 21 points. you got to be on your A game every play. And I think what's going on is LSU's jumping out to some leads against the smaller teams and even against Texas, but against teams like Vandy, and they're saying uh, they're not really – Maybe they're losing a little focus a little bit, losing that edge. And remember, most of these games, except for the Vandy game, was against non-conference, smaller schools, except for Texas, but plays in a a wide-open, spread-out offense type of conference, that I think the intensity factor on the defensive side of the ball kind of wanes a little bit as they see their offense putting up touchdown after touchdown. I think it's human nature. I think it'll get corrected. Plus, LSU has a ton of injuries on defense right now. Rashad Lawrence is in and out. Kalevon Shison's been hurt. Christian Fulton. Todd Harris, I guess, is going to miss the uh, the, uh, end of the season. He's going to be out for the season. So I just think, uh, don't know, pump the brakes on the panic, folks, on LSU's defense. I think Vandy scored two non-offensive touchdowns against them. So really, the defense gave up 24. And look, if you give up 24 points, your offense scores 66 or whatever they did, 60, whatever it was, 50, whatever. Then uh, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Now, when they get into SEC play and teams a little more physical, then if it continues, if that trend continues, then, of course, you know, Aranda... Uh, we'll have to do something and maybe make some adjustments and uh, and uh, maybe he will be on a hot seat. But I'm gonna give them the I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. He's been he's too good of a defensive coach not to understand what's going on and not to see how his team's playing. And I think it's gonna be incumbent upon him 
Ed Ogeron and the whole defensive staff staff to keep his defensive players focused during the game and not get caught up in the hoopla of oh the offense is scoring at will. We could just we could take it easy. We don't have to be the uh, best defense in the world anymore just to be in the game. Uh, so maybe that's it. I could be wrong, but I think that has a little bit to do with it. Now, as far as the LSU's offense concerned, lights out, lights out. It's better than advertised. Joe Burrow is, I think, leading almost every major category in passing in the Southeastern Conference. When have you ever heard that about an LSU quarterback? I don't think Zach Mettenberger even led the SEC in passing. Maybe he did. And he had Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, of course. So um, this offense just keeps rolling. Uh, Joe Brady has designed a passing game uh, after what he's learned for coaching for guys uh, more ahead from Penn State. He's coached at other places, and he had a great, great tutelage from Sean Payton. And the thing about Brady is when he is assisting great offensive coaches, he's absorbing, he's learning, and he's learning ways to translate what he knows into game plans and designing offenses with his stamp, using a little bit of other things that he's learned over the years, like the RPO from Moorhead, like the the great uh, route schemes that he learned from Sean Payton and other coaches of that nature. I know he's been in other spots, but those two have been his most major influences, and it's worked. And you have a, a quarterback who's deadly accurate, who knows how to work his way in the pocket, and who has kahunas the size of Texas, uh, you know, he is not afraid of anything. He's not afraid to make a throw. He re- he trusts his wide receivers. And um, he gives he helps out the offensive line, which may not be the best in the world, but it's good enough because of the scheme that offense, uh, that LSU's offense runs. So uh, I think with the, with the uh, with, um, I guess, Auburn coming up, it's going to be fun to watch how this offense goes up against SEC defenses. But we'll have to wait and see. All right, we're going to talk about that Saints victory in Seattle. Hall of Fame quarterback missing. Teddy Bridgewater hadn't started a game in, since God knows when, I guess four years. Been through uh, catastrophic injuries. We're going to talk about that victory against the place the Saints probably like to play least up there in Seattle. Uh, great win. Uh, let's, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Okay, this was Ann on Football. Be right back. Teddy, Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. i tell you what, for a quarterback who hadn't started in five, four or five seasons, who went through the injuries that he went through, to come out in a hostile environment like Seattle, loud, uh, ear-piercing noise, misty rain, like that Seattle rain that they're famous for, and uh, a team that, a place where the Saints have had little success over the last few years, going up there and winning. I thought Bridgewater did a nice job. Now, he came out a little bit shaky, but that's to be expected. A little bit of rust, probably some nerves, first time starting. Uh, 
and a big responsibility. Remember, he's not just taking over a team who lost any starting quarterback. He's taking over for a team that's lost a Hall of Fame, an absolute living legend, and a team that was expected to compete for the Super Bowl this season. So he's got a lot of, uh, he's got big shoes to fill. He's got a lot of pressure. He's got the weight of the world on those shoulders. And I would understand if he came out a little bit nervous, or a little hesitant, which is what happened. But as the game flowed, he started to settle in and get more comfortable and rely on his superstars. Guess who his superstars? Guess who he relied on? Of course, Alvin Kamara, Alvin Mercury Kamara, the man runs like Mercury. Somebody said he he's like that Terminator Two guy that when uh, you know he melts and just kind of flows along the surface. That's what Kamara does. He makes it look so effortless. The screen where he scores a touchdown. I mean that was that was Pierre Thomas, Darren Sproles, but with Kamara spin on it. And I got to give Bridgewater credit. For, for selling the screen as good as he did. Because it doesn't work if the QB doesn't sell the screen. Most screens you see that are broken up or, or recognized and snuffed out, it's because either the offensive line or the quarterback didn't sell the screen. You got Quarterbacks got to look downfield, and the offensive line's got to hold their blocks long enough to make the defensive lineman believe that it's a legit pass play and of course uh, Kamara has to make it look like the running back in this case in this instance Kamara has to make it look like he's just pass blocking pass protecting and everyone did their job perfectly and Kamara did the rest they had some downfield blocking but a lot of those guys missed their blocks it didn't matter it didn't matter because Kamara did the rest uh second half I thought uh, with a two-minute drive before half's time uh, second half coming out and leading the Saints to a score. I mean, just a really good performance by a quarterback who, listen, he didn't set the world on fire statistically, but he seemed to be in control. He had a common effect on the team. He didn't panic. He didn't commit a turnover. He didn't throw an interception or a fumbled snap, anything like that. So he didn't lose the game for you, which is the number one thing you want your backup to do. Don't come in there and lose it. I mean, don't come in and throw two or three picks, and we don't even have a chance. Uh, Another thing is manage the game. Manage the game. Thomas Morstead, the punting of Morstead, he changed field position, flipped the field position almost every punt. And, I mean, punt at the punt, up the punt, pinned Seattle back, pinned them back to where they had to make long, flawless drives, even to just stay in the game and to score or to even get the field position flipped the other way. Uh, So good job by that. Good team win. Sean Payton came up with a game plan to accentuate uh, Bridgewater's strengths. The offensive line, I thought, had a really good game, run blocking. Uh, Michael Thomas did what he was supposed to do. Now Jared Cook, the guy that seems to have to figure something out with this tight end, Jared Cook. They signed him from the Raiders. To come in and be that Jimmy Graham type, be, even just be Ben Watson. Just be a bit. How about you just be a Ben Watson type? Do your job, catch the damn ball when it's thrown to you, move the chains, and if you can break a tackle, break a tackle and go. That's all they're asking. But you're dropping passes. 
you've dropping you've dropped a pass in each game and right now four two let's see one and one two and three four games in no the Saints are two and one three games in so far you haven't looked like you're earning that contract so you got to get on ball you got to get going you got to get you going you are an important cog cook is of this offense He's somebody that the Saints offense and Peyton and Breeze and now Bridgewater is going to rely on to bail him out because teams are going to start game planning, and they already do for Kamara and Thomas. That tight end position is vital. You need a threat there. So Cook has to start catching the ball. Obviously, you can't drop the ball. Three drops in a season's a lot. He's got three drops in three games. Maybe even more. Uh, but I can't say enough about the special teams. Uh, Deontay Harris, I mean, come on, punt return, first series of the game. Completely shifted momentum, completely took the wind out of the crowd, the sails of the crowd, who uh, who can be noisy. And they still maintain, the crowd did their noise level on third down and things of that nature. But Deontay Harris kind of uh, shut them up for a little while. And uh, the defense, I thought, played well. Defense had a good game. Uh, listen, Russell Williams tough to contain. Russell Wilson, I mean. And you could do everything right on defense. Have your guy covered. Have good defensive pressure. Everything's going right. And then Wilson breaks a 15, 20-yard run. It's a backbreaker. It's a killer. It's a morale killer as well. But the Saints maintain their composure, the defense. Uh, came up with a great, uh, incredibly important scoop and score fumble re- recovery for a touchdown. And pretty much, uh, you know, held Seattle in check. Now, Seattle a great team? I don't think so. But they were 2-0, they were playing at home. And you were playing, at, and the Saints were playing at a place where they hate playing. They probably hate playing in that place more than any other stadium uh, in, uh, in, the, in the NFL just because of the crowd, and it's way up there in the furthest northwest portion of the United States that you can possibly get. So uh, good job by Peyton keeping the team out there on the West Coast uh, right after the Rams game. They stayed out there, practiced, isolated themselves from all the uh, panic and anxiety that was going on here in New Orleans about Breeze's injury. So uh, great job by the Saints all around. I uh, might be missing somebody, but some portion of the game that uh, contributed to the win. But, uh, I mean, listen, it was a great, great victory. Oh, one thing I will mention is the untimed play. There should be a rule in the NFL that if a game is out of reach, if it's once, if it's one, if it's more than what a one-score game, meaning a field goal, a touchdown, extra point, even if it's an eight-point Differential and a touchdown and two point conversion would win it. You don't play it. You don't run that play. Game's over. Okay, I understand. You can't end the game on a defensive penalty, but they should change that unless the team with the ball is losing by more than one score. What if somebody gets hurt on that play? What if I if somebody uh, twists the wrong way? And blows out an Achilles, blows out a knee. What if somebody, uh, I don't know, head gets head butted for something, whatever. 
So that's an unnecessary play that shouldn't even happen. If a team is winning by more than one score, that shape that play should not even be uh, given, awarded. I mean, you can do all these other things to protect the quarterback and the wide receiver and stuff like that. How about one more? Let's not run an untimed play when the team is losing by more than one score. I mean, come on. We can figure this out. It's not that difficult. Um, moving on to the Cowboys this week. Big challenge for the Saints, but they're at home. Uh, they're going to have their dome rocking. The crowd's going to be there. You know that. Uh, I think the defense plays a lot better at home uh, with the crowd behind him. I think uh, I think it's going to be a nice little game. It's a big challenge. Uh, Dallas has a really good offense with really good players uh, led by Ezekiel Elliott, Mari Cooper, good tight ends, good offensive line. They got a really good defense. So I'm going to talk more about that game next week. So, but I'm looking for, I think the Saints can, uh, I think they can manage to come out with a victory Sunday night. So, we'll see what happens. So, let's see. We went over Tulane. There went over Houston, LSU, and there went over Vandy and uh, problems, Dave Aranda. Some hot, the hot seat that he's kind of been on. A little criticism, I think undue criticism, because uh, let's wait and see what happens. And the Saints win in Seattle. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Fazan on Football. You can catch me every week. This thing's going to drop between Wednesday. After each weekend of your favorite local hometown teams, LSU Tulane, and your New Orleans Saints. Till next time, this is Mike Fazan and Fazan on Football. Have a great week, everybody.